June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Tonight, the death toll from Hurricane Ida rises and now a new concern for the more than a million people without power. Sweltering heat with temperatures that feel like 105. Devastation and heartbreak in Louisiana. People who evacuated ahead of the storm told not to return. Many of the roads here are only accessible by boat or lifted pickup truck. And the mad dash to evacuate patients from hospitals. Plus, living without power or clean running water. Stay strong. We'll make it. Tracking the storm. Ida heads up the East Coast. The life-threatening rain for tens of millions of Americans from Tennessee to Boston. President Biden defends his decision. The president addresses critics a day after the final troops leave Afghanistan. I refuse to continue the war that was no longer in the service of the vital national interest of our people. And as the Taliban takes over the Kabul airport, the new intelligence warning about a threat from violent extremists in the U.S. Wildfire emergency. The fight tonight to save Lake Tahoe as a growing blaze inches closer to the resort town. And roads are clogged with thousands trying to evacuate. Double Jeopardy, why Mike Richards is now out as host and executive producer. And Flight of a Lifetime, a dream come true as World War II vets take to the skies. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. It is a dire situation in Louisiana with no signs of relief for those hit by Hurricane Ida. Tonight, more than a million people are without power and could be for weeks, which means no air conditioning, even as heat indexes reach the triple digits. Many have no drinking water and the gasoline. Well, it's in short supply. And then there's this breaking news. The mayor of New Orleans says there will be a curfew tonight for the city of nearly 400,000. Well, we are getting a clearer look at the damage. Many homes were no match for the storm's 150 mile an hour winds. And the stories we're hearing are just heartbreaking. Many have lost everything. There's also some new details about hundreds of rescues made as the storm surge left entire neighborhoods underwater. The official death toll is now four. Two of the victims were killed when a highway collapsed in Mississippi. Our team of correspondents is following every angle of this developing story, including where now Tropical Depression Ida is headed next. CBS's Omar Villafranca leads us off from Crown Point, Louisiana. Good evening, Omar. Good evening. Despite the floodwaters and the rain, a lot of people are still trying to go down this road and see their homes for the first time since the storm. But they're learning it's one thing to survive Ida's winds. It's another to survive the aftermath. The full impact of Ida's direct hit on places like Grand Isle is only now coming into focus. 165 mile an hour winds and nearly a foot of rain shredded the island. A power substation was blown to pieces. And the word tonight to those who got out in time, 
don't even begin to think about coming back yet. The schools are not open, the businesses are not open, the hospitals are slammed. There's not water in your home and there's not going to be electricity. Tonight, more than a million customers all along southeast Louisiana, mostly in New Orleans, are still without power and could be for as long as a month. In southern Mississippi, Ida left nearly 60,000 customers in the dark. It will take days to assess the full damage to power transmission lines, far longer to make repairs. I was in the line an hour and we only moved 10 feet. In New Orleans, lines for gas stretched over a mile as frustrated residents waited five hours to fill up. It's rough. Everybody's fighting over gas. Already stretched thin by the pandemic, 11 hospitals were forced to evacuate patients during the storm. One remains closed. 51 others are operating on generators. All this as the heat index today was expected to hit 105. Some days you live in the water, some days the water lives on you. you know, and, and, and unfortunately, this is a situation where the water's living on them. In hard-hit Jefferson Parish, a community already accustomed to flooding, water lines, power lines, and sewer lines all need repair. The people who evacuated their homes still can't come back and assess the damage, like this fallen tree or a few feet of standing water. Many of the roads here are only accessible by boat or lifted pickup truck. So far, aid is slow to come, but individual groups are handing out food and water. <laughs> Jose Carrillo and his family loaded plastic bags filled with their belongings onto a metal boat. With no family to take them in, they rowed out Ida. But now, the high water and high temperatures are sending them in search of higher ground. Jose and his family can go to New Orleans to try to find supplies at uh, markets and gas stations that are starting to open up. But there are no shelters open in New Orleans. For shelter, they're going to have to go across the state. There are 30 of them that are open that are already housing nearly 2,000 people. Nora? Omar Villafranca, thank you so much. Well, one of the hardest hit by Hurricane Ida is Homa. That's a city southwest of New Orleans. Residents there said this was our Katrina. Most homes and businesses there were damaged as howling winds ripped structures apart for hours. And CBS's Maria Vidal is there tonight. Maria, good evening. Well, good evening, Nora. The wind and rain tore this place apart. I mean, that's the roof right over there. And if you can believe it, the owner says he is still going to live here. That's because as COVID numbers continue to surge here in Louisiana, there is a shelter here that people can go to, but they don't want to go because they are worried about being in a confined space with no air conditioning, no running water, and no working bathrooms. Hurricane Ida is long gone, leaving behind a trail of destruction and heartache in Homa. It'll sound like a freight train was coming through, and everything just stopped flying. You know, the house stopped vibrating. 70-year-old Theophilus Charles rode out the Cat 4 storm inside his childhood home, watching as it was ripped apart. And that's the first time I ever got scared by being in that house. I was going to stay alive one way or the other. If, if I had to turn the sofa over on top of me, oh, I was going to survive this. Trying to protect what little he has left, Charles watches his home from across the street during the day. You're still living in here? Yeah. But at night, he sleeps here. His roof is gone, the kitchen destroyed, and there's no running water. I got to stay here for now, just to make sure. Because I don't want nobody coming in here. Many of the 32,000 people here are like Theophilus Charles, living without power or clean running water making distributions like this essential to surviving. Our supplies are running low on water and there's no stores open. 
And if you have to go to the store, you have to drive at least an hour away. Stay strong. We'll make it. After living in this trailer for 21 years, Ida left Frank Marshall with nothing. That's what scared me, you know. No family. <laughs> Reality settling in as the sweltering heat returns. Do you have anything left? I got some clothes left. Refrigerator, stove. Oh, let's go. It's too much for me to pick by myself. Adding insult to injury, a lot of homeowners tell me they don't have insurance, so they have to rely on FEMA temporarily. That means staying in a shelter, an apartment, maybe even a hotel. But long-term fixing something like this up could take months, if not longer. Nora? Maria hmm. Vidal, thank you. Well, tonight, as Ida barrels north, more than 75 million people are under flood alerts from Georgia to Massachusetts. Let's get the forecast now from CBS's Lonnie Quinn. Hey there, Lonnie. Well, hello, Nora. You've got a storm that is not a hurricane. It is not a tropical storm, but this is going to have an impact on a lot of people with some big rain out there. Take a look. As of right now, that storm is pushing to the northeast. It's currently in the Tennessee Valley. By tomorrow, we are looking at very heavy rain in Pennsylvania, and you are looking at a tornado threat. Anywhere from Washington, D.C., up into portions of south New Jersey, you have an upper-level jet streak. The jet stream streaking along about 140 miles per hour. A front comes through, combines with the storm. A lot of rain, a lot of wind. By Thursday, it is out of here. But the rainfall numbers that we're looking at, we're saying big numbers, eight inches or so. Confidence level is a five out of five for that area shaded in pink anywhere from portions of Pennsylvania into southern New England, eight to ten inches of rain. Like I said, no name as far as like a hurricane or a tropical storm, but a big, big impact, probably one of the biggest impacts on the Northeast so far this season. Norris, all yours. All right. We'll be watching that tomorrow. Lonnie Quinn, thanks so much. We're going to turn now to Afghanistan because today President Biden was defiant in defending the withdrawal of U.S. troops to the American people in address saying the war should have ended years ago. Well, we're also seeing new images of the last flights out and the Taliban celebration. CBS's Ed O'Keefe reports from the White House. My fellow Americans, the war in Afghanistan is now over. President Biden tonight fiercely defending the pullout. I take responsibility for the decision. While the newly empowered Taliban celebrated the U.S. departure with a mock funeral and showed off U.S.-supplied military equipment left behind, though rendered inoperable by exiting American forces. The Pentagon released these images of the final moments. 500 soldiers boarding five C-17s. The last one wheels up at one minute before midnight, the official end of the war. The last man out? Major General Chris Donahue, serving his fourth tour in Afghanistan. He was in the Pentagon when it was hit on 9-11. The president said 90% of those Americans who wanted to leave, over 5,500, got out and vowed to help the 100 to 200 remaining, though with the assistance of the Taliban. We don't take them by their word alone, but by their actions. And we have leverage to make sure those commitments are met. CBS News has learned that as part of a secret deal, the Taliban did escort Americans to the Kabul airport during the evacuation, with U.S. drones watching overhead. But the bloody end to the 20-year war, 13 service members killed just five days ago, has caused criticism of Mr. Biden's judgment. Right now we should get every American home. I believe there should be accountability for what I, what I see as probably the biggest failure an American government on a military stage in my lifetime. The president explained his administration began reaching out to Americans in Afghanistan starting in March and said even if the evacuation had started sooner, there still would have been a rush to the airport. The bottom line is there is no evacuation, evacuation from the end of a war 
that you can run without the kinds of complexities, challenges, and threats we faced. And challenges remain, making sure Afghanistan doesn't again become a safe haven for terrorists. And to ISIS-K, we are not done with you yet. And how to safely resettle Afghan refugees now coming into the United States. And as those refugees are resettled across the country, the Department of Homeland Security is warning local law enforcement tonight that racially motivated extremists could target the Afghans. But as of now, there's no credible or specific threat. Nora. Ed O'Keefe, thank you. More now on those Afghan refugees. Tonight, thousands are being housed at the U.S. Air Base in Qatar. It is the first stop as they seek to build new lives far from their homeland. But most have no idea where the next stop will be. CBS's Charlie Daggett reports from Doha. These refugees were among the last to escape Kabul. By no small miracle, they somehow managed to get themselves and their children on board the few remaining U.S. military flights out. Lieutenant Colonel Matt Strand can't help but think of his own young children. They've had to leave everything behind. Can you imagine as a dad? I see them walk with, you know, their their plastic bag or their uh, their suitcase for a family, one backpack for a kid, and I know that's all they've got. But they're still smiling. Like when we talk about resiliency, like I'm the most resilient people I've ever met in my life. They'll have to be. Nobody we spoke to even knows where they're going. But they say it doesn't matter. Anywhere is safer than going back. We want to start a new life in the new country. We are so happy and we have more plans for our future. The humanitarian mission here in Doha, Qatar, will now become an important diplomatic mission. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul will be operating out of this country. It's a major regional U.S. ally, also an important go-between with the Taliban. You spent the best part of your career fighting the Taliban. You're handing the country back over to the Taliban. As a warrior, what does that feel like? We feel pride for the mission that we've been able to accomplish, which is to shepherd at this point more than 55,000 people from what, what, what they certainly believed was certain, certain death to what will now be freedom. The Qatari government will also be a key player in getting Kabul's airport up and running again. Officials here confirm they're in talks with Turkey and the Taliban to get flights going as soon as possible. Nora? Charlie Daggett, thank you. And we want to turn now to the wildfire emergency in South Lake Tahoe, California. The Caldor Fire is threatening more than 30,000 homes and businesses as it rages towards the popular vacation destination. Renee Santos of our CBS Sacramento station, KOVR, is there. This is the nightmare so many have feared. Thick forests are exploding in flames. Firefighters are making a desperate stand, trying to protect neighborhoods filled with log cabins. Uh, we're taking on a lot of heat here. We're this is what they're up here. against. Tense moments as one firefighting crew was overrun as the wind shifted. They made it out, but the flames keep raging, threatening more than 30,000 structures. And this is our hometown, and we live for tourists to come see it, and if it's burnt down... More than 20,000 residents have been forced from their homes. South Lake Tahoe normally bustles with tourists. It's now a ghost town. Nearby ski resorts are using snowmaking equipment on the approaching flames. The Caldor fire has been burning for weeks, destroying nearly 500 homes. 
Powerful winds and extreme drought fueled by climate change are now pushing it into one of the most pristine places on Earth. Lake Tahoe, known for deep blue waters and crisp mountain air, has been blanketed with smoky air. Now flames are threatening entire towns that line the lake. We've used the terms such as anomaly, unprecedented, or extreme to describe the wildfires. These terms are no longer appropriate. You can see the flames are getting closer to cabins in this area. The winds are forecast to remain strong at least through tomorrow night. Horrible conditions for firefighters. Nora? That tough air quality there as well. Renee Santos, thank you. Be careful. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com slash CBS to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash CBS and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Tonight in Texas, a bill calling for sweeping changes to the state's election law is headed to the governor's desk. Republican lawmakers approved it, ending a dispute that lasted much of the summer. The new law will limit voting hours and gives partisan poll watchers greater access to polling places. Governor Greg Abbott is expected to sign it within just a few days. All right, officials in Luling, Texas, are investigating a wild crash that was caught on camera. Look at this. A truck hauling a giant wind turbine blade got stuck on the train tracks. A freight train slammed into the blade and rolled the truck on its side. We can report there were no serious injuries to life, but that wind turbine looks like it's done. All right, Jeopardy! isn't just looking for a new host. It now needs a new executive producer. Mike Richards has now lost both jobs over disparaging remarks he made on a podcast about women and the homeless. Richards will appear as host on several shows that were previously taped, but the search continues for a permanent successor to the late Alex Trebek and that very popular show that I grew up watching. Some of America's most seasoned veterans are getting a chance to relive their youth thanks to some patriotic volunteers. And CBS's Nicole Killian has their story. Is anybody got a bottle of champagne? <laughs> At 98, Lauren Hellickson has a lot to celebrate. Oh, number seven. That's my lucky number. Sit the down. World War yes, II sir. veteran is climbing aboard this restored 1940s Stearman biplane for his first dream flight. What made you want to do this? To encourage others. The nonprofit made up of volunteer pilots has launched Operation September Freedom. After suspending trips during the pandemic, they want to take to the skies with 1,000 World War II vets by the end of next month. Do you see this as a race against time? We absolutely do. 
Um, we, we see that we have a small window here to be able to say thank you. I'm 98. I have difficulty finding any other veterans that are that age. How does that make you feel? Old. But not too old for this retired Navy corpsman who survived battle in the South Pacific to take a victory lap. Is it everything you imagined? <laughs> and more. What a wonderful trip. Signing yes, off. How do you spell John Hancock? On a mission accomplished. Nicole Killian, CBS News, Fort Meade, Maryland. You don't want to miss this story tomorrow. It happened on a baseball field 50 years ago, a pivotal moment that helped to break down racial barriers. Well, CBS's James Brown speaks with the players who were there. And a reminder, if you can't watch us live, don't forget to set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's edition of the CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell right here in the nation's capital, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow. Good night. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.